The following Now to Next episode features Matt Locasio, a principal with SCNH Capital, and Dave Benfield, founder of Duke Law, discussing how COVID-19 has impacted the brewers industry. All right. Well, thanks, Jen. Uh, happy to be here and looking forward to speaking with our guest, Dave Benfield, the founder and owner of Duke Law Brewing Company right here in Baltimore. Dave, thanks for being with us. No problem. Thank you, Matt, for having me. So, Dave, Duke Law was founded almost 25 years ago, which I'm sure is, is hard to believe. But uh, given that time period, I'm sure you've experienced plenty. But I'm guessing nothing quite like what we're going through right now with COVID-19. You know, heading into 2020, things looked positive for craft brewers with kind of sustained year-over-year growth around 40, around 4%. Uh, how are things going at Duclaw, you know, leading into uh, leading into 2020? Uh, it was going uh, pretty well for us. Uh, we had a really good 2019 and uh, everything going forward in 2020 was pointing up. We were adding a couple of distributors and we're definitely in pre-orders for seasonals and so on. We're building off of the base grade in 2019. So 2020 was looking very good. So. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, you're not alone with with having everything hit unexpectedly and and scrambling. Um, I, I've seen plenty of articles about people buying more beer during quarantine, but it was interesting to learn that they largely fell back to the legacy brands, the Bud Lights, Miller Lights, Coors Lights. Why do you think that was happening? Um, I, I think a lot came from just convenience that goes in. Um, if you're buying beer in the States, typically you're going to buy out of a grocery store if you go in or a liquor store, a beer distributor, depending where you're located. And it's a face-to-face buy. You go into the store and you buy. So also when COVID hit, you didn't get that. Um, and a lot of the stores don't have uh, web storefronts. So you went with what you know or what you knew was available. Also combining, just like in toilet paper, people were buying in bulk to last for weeks. So 30 packs and 15 packs and so on, which are usually dominated by the big three, um, were uh, the kind of buy to have. So for a craft brewer, when you're coming out with new product, if, it's, if you're not well known, you really rely on the salesman at the liquor store or the grocery store to sell your product to someone and let them know it's out. And so you didn't have that and you didn't have a, a web way or a, a digital way to do that um, at the retail level. So people went with what they know. Sure. Yeah, I, I know you and I have talked about this. I mean, you know, the the effort that goes into packaging for a craft brewer is is enormous. So, you know, when you're when you've got a consumer lined up looking at the 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 freezer case you gotta you gotta catch their eye and so when you know folks are stuck in their car just come pulling up and saying hey you know like you said from memory uh just give me a 30 pack of bud light because they can't get in there i can't look around and um you know sometimes it's it's hard to remember what you like if you're sampling different things you know week week by week so yeah that's a that's a tough one um so you know seems like people maybe are, are drinking more, but it's important to recognize the huge loss from you know, bars and restaurants being closed, sporting events and concerts being canceled. And for a lot of brewers, especially the small to mid-sized ones, you know, a huge portion of their revenue, I think I saw it was 70% in some cases, is generated from on-premises sales, which obviously has not been possible. So 
even as things are starting to reopen, it's hard to imagine folks aren't feeling the effects of, of the closures. What, what are you guys saying? Uh, definitely, we for us, we didn't have a tap room that was open day to day. So something that we actually had planned to do this year um, didn't really end up hurting us, but it's kind of a complicated production system. Aluminum cans, grain, hops, shipping, everything kind of bringing to us in the time frame we need all that got disrupted so if you're a small guy even with a tap room you're typically having stuff delivered on a monday so you can brew tuesday wednesday and so not only you're having your sales go away um but your supply lines get crunched and things get moved um and also in the brewing side we don't brew if we're going to sell 100 cases over a week you can't brew to 100 cases you brew to what your tank size is so some of these guys were 15 barrels for a batch and that would last for three weeks. Well, now all of a sudden the 15 barrels last for six or seven weeks. So storage becomes a problem and, and product expiring, which actually happened to a lot of uh, breweries. Our all draft beer, we had hundreds and hundreds of kegs packaged ready for draft sales. And sorry about that. And um, it ended up not going out the door so we ended up having to dump a lot of those kegs and, and actually bearing tanks so it happened to a lot of the tap rooms too they tried to pivot to growler sales and then once you ran out of growler sales and your beer was expired you ended up having to dump it down the drain yeah so definitely hurt and the best i heard in the market was about 25 to 30 percent their normal sales with some of the guys doing well now a lot of them got into delivery and I don't know how well it's gone with them, but I've heard that it's gone quite well in the delivery services. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. You know, when you've got things pre-sold and pre-ordered, I mean, you know, every baseball stadium, you know, the end of the NBA season, the NHL, I mean, all, all of that stuff was just kind of, you know, it was turned off in a matter of weeks, yeah. but obviously that stuff had been planned for months and months in advance. So I would imagine that was a, a pretty big hurdle for a lot of folks. Yeah, especially with distributors. <clears throat> so not only the breweries like Bud Coors and Miller had to deal with a ton of that, but distributors, which we share with them, some of them were dealing with, they had to take back hundreds of kegs ready for baseball season, which mm -hmm. then put a crimp on their storage. So distributors started, instead of buying a two or three week supply, they were buying week to week, which then made it extremely difficult for us because it threw all of our historical numbers out of whack. We didn't know what they needed. We expected them to come in and take 200 cases, something. They came in and took 50, but then they turned right back around and came back and took another 100 the next week. Right. Um, and they, uh, they made it extremely difficult to, to package what you needed to do. Yeah, that's probably something that a lot of people don't, don't realize is, you know, your production is so, you know, so scheduled because of, of demand and, and what you're expecting. And when those things are hard to predict or – most impossible to predict you know that that's that's a really hard thing to uh to pivot with and, and try to keep production going and like you said you know with suppliers and vendors um delays on on raw materials i mean that it's that becomes a full-time job just trying to handle production i'm sure yeah and it happens to be mine so yes it is a full-time <laughs> job and yeah especially in craft beer we we have a shelf life so even in our seasonals Typically, we're packaging the week before we ship to distributors. 
So distributors will get it and then it'll be in the market within two to three weeks at most from the date of packaging. When all of that goes haywire, then you either aren't packaging enough and you can't make orders in a timely enough or you've packaged a week or two earlier. And so it just, that logistics side becomes extremely difficult um, in a world. And they actually they were distributors or shippers that we use. Some were amazingly busy because they might be the guys shipping toilet paper, let's say, and other guys that were doing stuff for retail stores that were shut down, they had no traffic. And so it became even difficult scheduling trucks to ship and getting product in the door, sometimes delayed eight, 10, 12 days. Yeah. And I guess that would probably be further compounded by some of the labor issues, obviously, if you had to furlough people and now as as things are slowly starting to reopen trying to bring some of those folks back are, are you experiencing some some uh some hurdles there yeah when uh, everything hit and they closed restaurants that was probably a 20 or so percent uh revenue cut from how we normally are in sales but there was legitimate concerns that they might shut down liquor stores or stores that sell retail product for packaged goods and so we furloughed um, based on those sales drops and potential other drop. And then three, four weeks later, when we realized that we knew kind of kind of could predict the future and trying to get some of the people we furloughed back, actually all of them, we couldn't get them back with the unemployment being the extra 600 a week. Mm -hmm. So, and also two of the COVID concerns, there were people that were just concerned that if they left their house, that they, they run extra risk. So sure. we had to operate um, with probably 60% the staff that we normally have. Uh, but luckily for us, only down about 20% the revenue of what we thought. At the same time, too, in early May, we were going to put our new canning line in, which got mm -hmm. pushed back a little bit to late May. So even during this time, we had to install a new canning line, again, short on labor. So we were we were literally producing in may we, what we packaged on monday was being shipped out on tuesday for trucks so wow. um, even now my my whole all my condition and cooling space is basically empty uh, i have two beers in stock right now actually three because i just packaged yesterday regular beer um troubles smell like lemon drops and sweet baby all because they were packaged yesterday the day before and the day before that i have no other beer in house wow so we can't keep up because of this and uh, with everything going on. So not having the staff means you can't work the, the length of shifts you want. So you're limited to the one shift. And my guys in the packaging side have been, you know, beasts. They've kept up and worked extra, but you can only do so much, you know, do it for two or three weeks, not a problem. Two or three, four months now, mm -hmm. it gets to the point to where, you know, they, you just, you, you can't work that much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, in addition to juggling all of the internal issues with COVID, everything else that's going on, there, there always seems to be something new that pops up that challenges the craft beer market. You know, I remember a few years ago, it was the uh, Not Your Father's Root Beer that everybody loved for a little while, and that quickly fell off. And now it seems like uh, hard seltzer has become the the newest uh, the newest thing to to sort of become the disruptor within the market. Um, are, are you guys seeing that? What, what's your, what are your thoughts on, on that? Definitely over the last two years, actually probably even further than that, three years or so ago, Seltzer really started to make the, the, 
the kind of growth that we're seeing now, driven mainly because it's 110 calories with some flavor and doesn't have a beer flavor, let's say. Um, so it's definitely become a lot more popular. A lot of brands have come out, a lot of the large breweries and semi-large breweries, Corona and so on and so forth, they all come out with um, their own seltzer now. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's definitely taken over. Um, for us as a craft brewer, we've taken a long, hard look at it. And one of our struggles in entering the market is in craft beer, we bring so many different ingredients together to create unique flavors or differentiating flavors at least. And on the seltzer side, it becomes difficult to be different than other people because being limited to 110 calories, the flavor you have to bring in can't have sugar. So you're dealing with flavored ingredients, which you can't bring fresh cherry juice in to make this cherry seltzer because you're bringing sugar in. Um, and so we couldn't really find a way to kind of differentiate ourselves from everything. So we're, we still look at it, but kind of follow the same thing. Unless we can bring a flavor or a, a concept to market that's just captivating, um, we've shied away from it. And I think our distributors too are, are growing very wary of the seltzer side. Yeah, so. that, that makes sense. I mean, having seen, you know, your production facility and all of the ingredients that you guys have, you know, that, that, I think that is one of your biggest differentiators is, is all of the different, um, you know, different flavor profiles you guys offer. Obviously the, the unicorn series is the, is the hot one right now. And, um, yes. you know, I, it, I don't know if people appreciate how much, you know, chemistry goes into, uh, to developing those, th those beers and, and those flavors. Well, yeah, just even in unicorn, it's a fruity pebbles inspired sour ale with edible glitter. So the first challenge we had is what does fruity pebbles taste like? It's fruity, but what are the fruits inside of it? So there yeah. was just a ton of work to identify the flavor and then how do you replicate the flavor? Um, and then edible glitter, uh, which um, even though it doesn't affect the flavor, um, getting it into the beer, how long does it, what we call stay in suspension, meaning stay afloat. So with Unicorn, we'll get occasional comments where people will say, I don't see any glitter into it because they pour a little bit out and they don't realize that that beer sat there for five or six days. And during that time, the glitter has sunk to the bottom like a snow globe. And you mm -hmm. kind of got to give it a little shake, not too much of a shake. Um, and then, you know, for us, getting it in the beer without getting it everywhere. So you're covered okay. into it. But even just coming up with that flavor profile, um, our Pastriarchy series, we did a collaboration um, with um, different candy companies, Caramellos, where you have to determine, okay, what what are the big flavor components and how do I replicate those? Um, and so it's all about the flavor. We don't really concern ourselves with the caloric content. You try to hit the flavor spot on. And that's the difference on the other side is they're more about how, you know, I've got to keep my calories at a certain level and how much flavor can I get into that? And you're really, you're left with extracts and very light fruit juicing. So it's not the thing that we kind of excel at or we at least make hay with. Yeah. Um, ours is figuring out some kind of weird ingredient that we stumbled across and making it work. So. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I think the, uh, you know, the, the biggest question that, that 
that I have moving forward is, you know, where do craft brewers go from here? Certainly, you know, COVID has impacted revenue and profitability, so valuations are going to take a hit as a result. But, you know, even ignoring that, I've seen some of the big valuations of, of past years level off. You know, perhaps the most dissected transaction is Constellation selling Ballast Point at the end of 2019 for an unconfirmed number, but from what it sounds like, somewhere between 50 and 100 million after buying it for 1 billion in 2015. So, you know, obviously COVID is going to have an impact, but it seemed like things were starting to level out to some extent. But where do you things? Where do you see things going? Uh, going in the future here? Um, I'm still relatively positive. Um, one of the challenges, um, at least the craft brewer at our size had, was the sheer number of other breweries coming onto the scene. Um, in the last three years, craft beer growth has always been strong for the last 10 years, but like in the last three to four years, it's been kind of insane. New brewery popping up every three days, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. um, and that so much of choice got to be where you were fighting. And even if they eventually went away, there was another one right behind it opening up. Um, and there's only so much shelf space and there's only so many taps as a brewer looks at it. So I think some of the ones, um, kind of a natural pruning, where uh, some of the guys right on the edge in the bubble will uh, move away and the people that have the, I guess, the right focus and can continue to produce the flavor and the liquid that they need to produce and market themselves well, because craft beer is all about marketing too, about getting that attention, um, you'll see that, that growth. And use an example as Unicorn this year, um, last year we did seven batches of it, which was one of our largest seasonals to go. Uh, this year we stopped at, uh, 22, um, in our initial launch, but once COVID hit, um, it changed the world. And so all of a sudden we decided we will take unicorn a little further. And then we did another 12, we're in the process of doing another 12 batches of that beer. And it's going wow. out to California and to Nevada in a kind of guest brewer program. So what we've seen is where, because of all of this, we're getting more attention in areas where you weren't getting it before as much because there were so many choices available and now they're looking a little differently. So I still think craft as a whole will grow and grow well. And I think you're going to see a lot of creative beers we don't even know about. Um, and I think that the ones that were right on the bubble or uh, you know, unfortunately even people that were doing really a great job but were taproom only, uh, they're the ones that are gonna take the struggle. And um, I don't know with COVID going on if you're gonna see as many new ones launching, even restaurant world, because I think right. the disruption to real estate is is massive. So I don't know how those things work going forward. It's so confusing, but a craft beer overall and the demand for it, um, is I think still continuing going going forward. It just not as much on on premise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Are you uh, are you thinking about developing a uh, a special edition quarantine beer at some point? Uh, I, I don't know. Right now, so so frustrated with the quarantine. Uh, we spend a good bit of our days, even today, where product packaging 16 ounce cans that were supposed to come in last week that were supposed to come in monday that were supposed to come in today maybe now friday wow. um that uh you i just want this over um yeah. 
Yeah. And plus how we do everything to coordinate with our distributors, we are uh, mapped out far enough in advance and mm -hmm. in the flavor. And uh, so I try to ignore the quarantine stuff. I don't even want to hear about it. I'm going yeah. into hiding from the news. Right. So, well, it's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned California. Obviously, they've seen enough of a resurgence where they're kind of going back into lockdown. So it's interesting that, you know, like like you said, brewers that maybe wouldn't have the exposure are getting that now as a result. That's a interesting byproduct of everything that's going on. Yeah, so a little, it's amazing because a lot of the craft beer movement starts out West, just has since the history of craft beer kind of mm -hmm. blossomed out West. So um, you you wonder how much the this will stifle the innovation, not just because we're all just trying to keep afloat, but then on top of that, um, looking for that new interesting ingredient that somebody makes they might not be making anymore because there's no other place to sell it because the restaurants aren't buying it right um so it's little ripples through our industry like the tap handle makers you think yeah. about it is like okay well who's buying tap handles now no one right um we we actually lease our kegs from a keg distribution company uh, you know they they're it's a valuable service for us getting kegs back so even once this all starts back up, how this whole industry kind of puts the gear back in motion again, it's impossible to tell. So there's more and more pain left to go um, and see what kind of innovation comes out to overcome that. So Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, the ripple effect is real and it is. It's across so many different industries that people don't necessarily think about. But like you said, it, you know, it starts from the top and, and all the way down, you know, throughout the entire supply chain. Um, it's, uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a big hurdle for a lot of these folks that I think is, um, you know, going to have some, some long-term impacts on them. So it's, it's tough, but, um, well, Dave, I think our time is up, but, uh, certainly appreciate you being, uh, our guest here and, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, we can, uh, continue this conversation over, uh, over a beer in person. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Thank Dave. You. For more information, please visit schcapital.com.